0: Welcome to the Sadler Lectures Podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an mp3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his work on the shortness of life, Seneca has a number of points that he wants to make about the pursuit of what we think to be pleasure. And so he's not actually going after hedonism as such in the ways, oh no, pleasure isn't ultimately the good. He's actually willing to say, yeah, you know, pleasure, a lot of people want that. I'm sure that you do too. There's nothing absolutely bad about pleasure, but the ways in which many people try to seek out pleasure because of the ways in which they can conceptualize pleasure, make bad uses of their time. They exhaust the time that they are given. And so I think a really good place to begin in this essay is looking at something that he says in chapter 13, namely that people's whose pleasures, voluptates, that's one of the words for pleasure in in Latin, put them to considerable work, multum negoti habent. So pleasures that require a lot of you, they're not at leisure. Non sunt otiosi. These are people who have free time and their free time, isn't really like free time because they're so busy with all the things that go along with their pleasures. And we can see a contrast to this. You know, not everybody who is enjoying pleasures is necessarily doing that. He talks in 7.9 about the person who devotes every second of his time to his own needs and organizes each day as if it were a complete life proper use of time proper understanding of time neither longs for nor is afraid of the next day for what new kind of pleasure is there that any hour can now bring everything's been experienced everything enjoyed to the full notice that he says enjoyed to the full we you know it's not as if we have to be dour and pleasureless in order to make good use of our time no as a matter of fact using our time wisely will result in a pleasant life among other things so he goes on and he says for the rest for Fortune may make arrangements as it wishes. This person's life has already reached safety. Addition can be made to his life, but nothing can be taken away from it because they use this precious resource of time wisely. Now, by contrast to that, There's many people whose vices swallow up their time, as he says, and he's gonna give you some examples of this. He says that even if you live a thousand years and more, this will be compressed into the merest span of time. Those vices of yours will swallow up any number of lifetimes. The span of time, which good management prolongs, even though it naturally hurries on, must in your case escape quickly, for you fail to seize it and hold it back and you do nothing to delay the speediest of things. And so he says, among the worst cases, I count those who give their time to nothing but drink and lust, right? So to the belly and to the the genitals, you could say, right? They're just pursuing their bodily desires. And, you know, if you think about it, you have to spend a lot of time doing things in order to enjoy these, and they're not great for your body, but how much enjoyment can you actually get out of drinking every day? or pursuing sexual activities with different people all the time. And he says, other people go astray in other fashions. Think about people who are greedy. People who are quick to anger, people who busy themselves with unjust hatreds or wars, scrutinize every moment of these people's lives. Notice how much time, so once again, the work that they have to do, how much time they spend on their ledger keeping, how much on setting traps or fearing them, how much on cultivating others or being cultivated by others, how much on giving or receiving bail, how much on dinner parties which themselves have become business They can't even enjoy themselves at a party. You see that their affairs, whether good or bad, allow them no time to draw a breath. Again, the same point. They're not at leisure. They're not enjoying themselves fully in the pleasures that they are pursuing. And he gives a whole bunch of examples of leisure-consuming pleasures. There's a number of interesting ones that he is going to bring up. One of these is going on vacation, right? He talks about country retreats on their couch, what we call a staycation, right? In the midst of their solitude, they're troubling company for themselves. It's not leisurely, but idle preoccupation. They're idle, but they're preoccupied. Ocupatus with all of these things that they have to do. And you see people like this. They go on vacation. They're always complaining. Nothing's ever the way it needs to be. They talk it up later. Oh, I went to this place on a cruise, you know? And then they forget about the fact that they didn't actually enjoy themselves on the cruise. And they were one of those difficult passengers. He talks about arranging collections. now. I don't think that too many of us can relate to arranging with meticulous attention to detail Corinthian bronzes, but... And we might think about other things that we collect and want to show off. Think about the proverbial nerd who has all of the action figures in their packages. Can't take them out and play with them because then they would lose their value, but they have them in the display case. Or people who collect other kinds of figurines, right? Or produce entire towns of buildings. I've seen that sort of thing. People collect anything and everything. You can even do it virtually On your computer or on your phone. Remember Pokemon? Collect them all, right? That one actually got people out, you know, chasing them around using an app. That is not actually leisure time. That's turned into work because of the mindset that people bring getting into sports. Now he uses the example of wrestlers and you know going to the wrestling ring watching boys brawling and then people who actually have teams who separates the troops of his own wrestlers into pairs of the same age and skin color and you know this is just again taking your time and throwing it away, you know, worrying about what your team's record is. Did they change the quarterback? How's the new person going to do? All of these things that people obsess about when it comes to sports or even things that aren't truly sports, but are leisured occupations like golf, for example, people can just get obsessive about this sort of thing. And it's really not worth it unless you can just enjoy it and don't worry about all of these myriad details. Obsession over appearance. Now he talks about going to the barber, right? Getting your your beard shaved just right, having them arrange your hair. We have entire industries catering to so much else. You know, get your nails done, get your cosmetic surgery done so your nose goes the right way. Get some tattoos, get your tattoos removed. All of these trivialities that people think are fun and enjoyable wind up turning into work for so many people, right? Not just work for the people that are doing it, work for the people who are enjoying it. They're perhaps depriving themselves of genuine pleasures. Focusing on music, uh, something that we do indeed, many of us take great pleasure in. He says, what about those who are absorbed in composing? listening to, learning songs. The voice whose best and simplest flow is naturally straightforward. They twist into sinuous turns of the most feeble crooning. Their fingers are always snapping in time to some song they carry in their head when they've been asked to attend to serious and even sorrowful matters. You can overhear them quietly humming a tune. And then here he reflects and again says something similar. This is not leisure, but idle occupation. It's keeping them busy. When you have an earworm that you can't get rid of, that could be like that. Hosting parties. Parties are supposed to be a fun time. The Romans were really into dinner parties and feasts and banquets and stuff like that. We like all sorts of parties. It's very easy to get quite obsessed as a host about, you know, all the little things that have to be arranged and making sure that everybody's having a good time. And to not have a good time yourself as a result, to get worked up, to get agitated, to get anxious and upset. And that deprives you of pleasure. He also talks about people focusing on what we'll just call trivia. He brings up matters of literary questions, right? And some of these would be like, is the same person the author of both the Iliad and the Odyssey? Or how many rowers did Odysseus have? But he also talks about like history and people do get quite obsessive about this. A few days ago, I heard someone mentioning which Roman general had been the first to do what. Julius was the first to win a battle at sea. Curius Dentatus, the first to parade elephants in a triumph. And you know, Seneca is basically saying, Who cares? This is not stuff that actually matters, that is worth obsessing over. I mean, I suppose if you're a historian and that's your job, sure, but a lot of these people who are history buffs or political junkies or stuff like that, they're just finding ways to occupy themselves and waste the time that they have with what are essentially disconnected details that have nothing to do with their own lives. You know, trivialities, the things that we get trivia from. And what is the result of all this? There's a lot of people who create for themselves an inability to really enjoy the things that they think are pleasures. So, you know, he talks in chapter 16 about people who've been waiting for this great thing to happen. And then he says the time of actual enjoyment is short and fleeting. It's made far shorter by their own fault. They desert one pleasure for another and cannot persist steadily in any one desire. Their days aren't long, but are hateful. Yet on the other hand, how short seem the nights that they spend cavorting with, say prostitutes are drinking, right? So there's a lot of people who they work them. Oh, this is going to be so great when I go to this concert. And the concert's over and you spend most of your time getting there, hanging out in the parking lot, walking in lines, the band plays for an hour and a half. Now you get to get out to your car, get through these long lines of traffic. Was it worth it for the experience that you had? Was it really that pleasant? Was it what you built it up to be? Same thing with, you know, oh, I'm going to go out on a date with this person and they're so incredibly attractive and we're going to like hit it off and then we're going to go get a hotel room and get it on and it's just going to be amazing. And no, it's probably not going to turn out like that. You know. And even if it is, It's over, right? You've lost it. And you move from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure, focusing on different ones, not actually enjoying what's in front of you. Uh, Just as a side note, I go to quite a few band concerts and I'm always just amazed at the fact that people have paid lots and lots of money for these tickets. And we usually sit kind of far in the back so we get to see everybody coming and going. And you see the same people getting out of their seats while the band is playing and walking all the way up the stairs. And then they come back and they've got four beers that they've bought in cans, which they paid a lot of money for because it's not cheap to do that. And then they stumble their way back down to their chairs and they're like, you know, back listening to the music. Now they've missed two songs and they're slamming these beers because they want to get as drunk as they can to enjoy the party atmosphere. And then half an hour later, band's still playing. Here they come. Here comes Rum dum Drunky, again, looking for some beers. And you're like, why did you even bother coming to this? You could have just like watched a DVD, got yourself a 12 pack and slammed all those beers at home. You would have had just about as good of a time. You know, people do this in all different ways. They allow their pleasures to interfere with their pleasures. They don't manage them well. So that creates, An inability to enjoy. Other inabilities are created by being anxious and disturbed. He says, the very moment when people are rejoicing, the agitated thought steals in on them. How long will this last? How long will I get to experience this pleasure that I was seeking this entire time. That ruins the pleasure. He says, it is this feeling that has caused kings to weep over their own power. The extent of their prosperity gave them no pleasure, but the prospect of its eventual end terrified them. Why is this the case? Seneca tells us. He says they don't rest on stable causes, but they are disrupted as frivolously as they are produced. These people are wretched because they're subjecting themselves to fortune, to randomness, to the way the world works, which means that sometimes you're up Sometimes you're down, right? He says, The greatest blessings cause anxiety. Fortune is no less wisely trusted than when at its most advantageous. To maintain prosperity, we need fresh prosperity. And other prayers are to be offered instead of those that have already turned out well. Everything that comes our way by chance is unsteady. The higher our fortunes rise, the more susceptible they are to falling but what must inevitably collapse gives no one pleasure. So the life of those who acquire through hard work what they must work harder to possess is pretty wretched and brief. He also talks about new preoccupations replacing older ones. So if we realize this about one particular pleasure, oh, I used to really enjoy drinking, but can't really do that anymore. You know, I'm getting older. The hangovers are worse. Maybe I'll start gambling instead, or I'll just watch TV all day long. All of these sorts of things that people do. And he says, new preoccupations take the place of old. Hope arouses new hope, ambition or new ambition. They don't look for an end to their wretchedness but change the cause of it. They don't learn the lesson, which is that you can really only enjoy yourself. You can really only have those pleasures if you're not having to work too hard to get them or to keep them or to prolong them. So these are some really important lessons, I think, that Seneca has for us about our own pursuit of pleasure and how we arrange our life, how we spend our most precious commodity time in order to hopefully attain them. Sometimes not even managing to do that when we arrive at the point where we're supposed to be enjoying our pleasures. So this allows us to place the pursuit of pleasure into proper perspective.